Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I find this text intriguing, and I have for quite a while. For Paul talks to the early church as if they're a bunch of infants in Christ, feeding on milk, not ready for solid food. What intrigues me about this passage is that I hear him talking to us too and encouraging us and telling us that we need to grow up, that we need to mature in Christ because we're stuck, because we have become complacent and satisfied with milk. Because we have become satisfied, we experience a type of arrested development in our lives. And Paul is saying we need to move beyond that. But before diving into that, I want to set the context for the text for today. Paul is writing to a church in conflict. There are a lot of, there's a lot of inner turmoil and unrest in Corinth. And Paul is aware of this. The church is at odds with itself. There are various factions and divisions among the people. And Paul is attempting to bring them together. And so he writes to encourage them. He wants to unite them in mind and in purpose. And it's in this letter that we hear some of the most famous words in Scripture, the love passage, where Paul says to them, love is patient and love is kind. And he tells them to ground their very lives in that love. For without it, they are just noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. It's in that context that he tries to bring them together both in mind and purpose. Think mind of Christ, which is more here than here. Come together in mind of Christ and in God's purpose, the formation of a beloved community committed to God's will and to God's way. He describes this as wisdom, and he is inviting them to move into a more mature way of understanding who they are and what it means to be God's people, a wise way of understanding. And just before the text that I read for you, he lays this out for those with ears to hear. He says, yet among the mature, we do speak of wisdom. Though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish, but we speak of God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. We speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Paul talks about flesh and spirit as two different things. And in this case, he's not demeaning the human body. Instead, he's pointing out the flawed perspective that can characterize human values and human decisions. When we exist on this level as children with one another, we get caught up in our jealousy and in our comparisons, in our arguing, in our labeling each other, in our trying to fit in somehow. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of the Spirit, Paul says, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are discerned spiritually. Those who are spiritual discern all things, 
and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who has the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, he says. We have the mind of Christ. What Paul sees in the church at Corinth is something very different than the mind of Christ. He sees not those with the mind of Christ, but those who are infants in Christ, people caught up in jealousy and quarreling, as he points out. Those not ready for solid food. Some of you know that I recently became a grandfather. And Violet, my granddaughter, is now two and a half months old. She subsists on her mama's milk and nothing else, right? If they tried to feed her solid food, it would harm her. Paul understood that. And he knew that those who were new in their faith needed something other than the spiritual or the wisdom that he knew they might eventually grow into. And he's encouraging them to grow up into that possibility. Paul is not accusing them of something. He's diagnosing them. He's saying, you're not there yet. But hopefully, with God's help, someday you'll, you'll grow into this. Into this possibility that you'll be more fully who God intends you to be. And when you get there, you're going to see things that you can't see right now. You're going to understand things that you don't understand right now. And your life is going to become less about you and how you fit in and more about this, about everything and your relationship to one another and to the wider world. They are caught up in a sense of division and strife. They are comparing themselves They're saying, I'm of Apollos. And another says, I'm of Paul. And he's saying, stop labeling each other. Stop putting yourselves into these categories, which is something that we continue to do today. I'm Presbyterian. You're Episcopalian. I'm unchurched. You're Catholic. And it goes on from there. I'm Republican. No, I'm not. (laughs) Don't call me that. You're Democrat. We go on and on. I'm white. You're a person of color. When we start to label ourselves, we diminish ourselves and we hold ourselves back. While our distinctions matter and have value, they also limit us. And they're not the whole picture. Those limitations can keep us caught in comparing and contrasting ourselves with one another to the point that we miss out on spiritual things. We we don't recognize our common humanity. As long as we label one another, it's too easy not to deal with one another or to respect each other or to tend to the underlying relationship that we are all in together. It's that awareness that wise, astute people of color have been telling us about for years. Listen to these words from Martin Luther King Jr. An individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. 
South African theologian, teacher, and writer Alan Bosek defines racism as structural sinfulness that Christians in particular must condemn. Racism is sin, he writes. It denies the creatureliness of others. It denies the truth that all human beings are made in the image of God. And as a result, racism not only denies the unity of all humankind, it also refuses to acknowledge that being in the image of God means having dominion over the earth. Now there's wisdom in those words. And he goes on to justify that or to explain it by looking at the opening of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where we're all created in God's image. And God says, all of it is good. And it's not just human beings, but it's everything that God created. That we are in relationship with all of it. That's the wisdom you find when you go back and you look in Genesis, and you listen to the prophets, and you look at the life of Jesus and Paul. They're inviting us to this mature way of seeing the world and being in it that goes beyond our Sunday school lessons when we were little children or literal interpretations of the Scriptures. There's an invitation to live a bigger life, a fuller life that looks beyond just ourselves and where we fit in. Paul goes on to talk about this relationship with others and the way that God can work in this relationship in our symbiosis with the world around us by turning again to Apollos, his friend. When he says that the two of them have been working together and lives have been changed, the world is changing because of what God is doing in our relationship. So Apollos introduced you to Jesus. That's great. I might have introduced you to Jesus. That's great. But together we're working to help bring about God's realm in the world. Something is happening that is significant. We are God's servants, Paul says, referring to himself and Apollos, and we are working together. The transliteration of that Greek verb is synergoi where we get the word synergy from. We are working together. One plus one is greater than two when we synergize. When we work with God, something greater happens than we ever imagined was possible before. Paul invites us to participate as co-creators in what God is doing. For that to happen, though, we have to grow up. We can't subsist on mama's milk anymore. We've got to be willing to eat solid food that gets us out of our labeling of each other and our putting people down so that we can be lifted up and by separating us from one another. We have to be brought together. And that's what Paul is inviting Paul asks us to do the same thing, to work together with one another and with God, to become partners in synergism, which is the translation of that word. Co-workers with God. 
Every day, three times a day, here in this chapel, we pray for that here at Richmond Hill, that we can be co-creators, partners in synergism. And we're going to do it again in just a couple minutes when we pray, O Lord, grant that your kingdom may come here in this metropolitan city as it is in heaven and help us to be a part of its coming. We're in it with you. We want to be a part of this. We want to grow up and participate synergistically in what you are doing. For us to do that, we have to grow beyond our labels. We have to recognize that the dignity belongs to everyone. We have to respect the interdependence between human beings and physical creation. All of it. We are in relationship with all of it. And we have to, in Paul's word, put on the mind of Christ. It's time that we began to feast, not on milk, but on solid food together. Amen. Amen.